and I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Well, welcome back to my alchemical bromance. This is Eric Arneson, and I'm here at uh, Belmont Station with Seda Selter, who is an ancestral healing practitioner and a professor of consciousness studies and dreams at the Evergreen State College. Hi, Seda. Hello. Hi, Eric. <laughs> It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. Welcome back to Portland for a little while. Thank you. <laughs> Feels good to be back. So, um, I've known you for a while, like many, like over a decade, I think. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 Or about a decade. About a decade. And um, yeah, wow. when I first met you, I didn't know that you were into any of this sort of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were into weird stuff, but it was just... Uh, uncommon as in like you mm. thought that uh, men all looked like shabby assholes and should wear more suits right. right right yes and now you so how long how long have you been so the dreams I think you were into before for a yes. long time how did you get into that when did you get into that um I've always been into dreams I the former life to which you refer where we met through my clothing business mm-hmm. that happened because of a series of dreams I started that business what you yeah. dreamed your way into that business yeah so How? okay that was me exercising my dreams through a circuitous route in uh-huh. my daily living um, oh. so I was exercising the power of my dreaming path through having that business. Okay, so then the dreams guided you towards the business? Did you have... Yeah. Was it the sort of thing where you needed an idea for a business and it came to you in a dream? Or was it... Or did you have like a, a normal person job and then <laughs> and then a dream told you, drop everything, go, uh, go make some pants? Yeah, well, it was kind of the latter. Yeah? Um, I was having some health problems that were being solved in my dreams through a series of... Uh, images and experiences with clothing and creating clothing, making clothing as being a healing thing. And I, uh-huh. I was naturally like, I need to make clothing in my waking life, not just in my dreams. The clothing, all this different kind of clothing was having really strong feelings and potencies in my dreams that um, caused me to really look into making clothing as a thing. And I went to apparel school and started out making clothes for myself and then vintage reproduction clothes for women that fit right. And then I got kind of tired of that and started to realize that um, men needed the help. (laughs) It morphed. It certainly morphed around, but it was... And we are all thankful. (laughs) Those suits are are awesome. Those suits are super awesome. I guess, I feel like that might have been something you told me before, but I don't know that I realized the extent to which, that's kind of, that's pretty impressive. Like, so you have trusted your, uh, like, intuitive side to make pretty big life decisions for you, or with you, yeah. or it's your decision-making faculty. Yeah, specifically my dreams. I didn't get into huh. other stuff till a bit later, but um, I've been really into practically following my dreams and synchronicities since I was a teenager. Um, that's to great effect. I mean, yeah. my life has been pretty fantastic by my gauge. Have you um, have you watched the Dirk Gently Dirk, Dirk Gently Solistic Detective Agency show? No, uh, I've not even heard of it. Oh, well, so it's a it's a book series that Douglas Adams wrote in the seventies, eighties, I guess the eighties, um, and they made a TV show out of it. That's not like super. Uh, it doesn't follow the book at all, but the characters, there's like, several characters have this superpower that, where they're like, I just follow the stream of the universe, like the stream of existence yeah. in the universe, and everything just works out. Yeah. So you, you kind of did that. You, so you have a superpower, is what you're saying. Yes, I do. Dang. I have a superpower. Well, cheers. Good job. Cheers. Bit by a radioactive dream. <laughs> Um, okay, and then so the ancestor stuff uh, is really fascinating. I mean, so can you, you gave, I mean, you talked about it for like an hour and a half, two hours today. I'm wondering if you mm-hmm. can, if you can, do you have a, an elevator pitch for the ancestor stuff? Because I have some like questions. 
Oh, that's an interesting thought. I don't have one prepared, but I can give it a shot. It could be a tall elevator. <laughs> okay, <laughs> numerous floors. So, ancestral healing, communicating with your ancestors. Basically, we all have ancestors. Mm-hmm. We don't come from nowhere. We come specifically from all the sexual couplings of all the humans before us since the beginning of humanity and beyond. I mean, yeah. really. Yeah. If we're really going to get down to it. Right. And, and I guess maybe at some point, way in the past, some asexual reproduction. But from Yeah, 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 certainly. It goes all the yeah. way back. Yes, it does. Um, and as that is part of our heritage, I mean, I really, I really see us as walking around embodying our ancestors at this mm-hmm. point. We're the living representatives of those who have come before us, and we hold themselves in us through our blood and our bones and our DNA and our physical traits and and, our, and it, even like our culture and our culture and items and traditions and like everything right yes like, everything and um, there's no line to be drawn between our inheritances physically and culturally and also emotionally psychologically and spiritually so the kind of work that I do and I'm looking at is um, doing ancestral healing for um, intergen- intergenerational traumas that mm-hmm. people are still carrying around from their ancestors and um, helping people connect to the larger web of humanity that we are actually all a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot to be said about it. Yeah. But at, at the crux of it, like, okay, we can do healing in a cool, trancey state directly with our ancestors to increase our happiness, our luck, our self-esteem, our psychological well-being, as well as some family pattern problems and, like, long-inherited things coming down the ancestor pipeline. We can do that, and um, it's exciting, and that's what I'm involved in. Yeah, I... What uh, in the the book the book that you helped work on? Um, I read a little bit of it, and to try to get sort of an idea of what it is, and it's fascinating because yes, and th- let me interrupt you. This book is Ancestral Medicine by Dr. Daniel Four. That is the book to which yes. you refer. I'll yes, I'll put a I'll put a link in the show yes, notes. Yes, great. <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, you never uh, realize podcast people say that often until you say it yourself. <laughs> There'll be a link in the show notes. <laughs> great <laughs> um uh so it's fascinating because so so the the technique that that you're working with is is fairly modern right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and one of the things that's fascinating about it is it has i mean i, I guess it, it it has a lot of uh sort of approaches that are like in common with a bunch of other meditative techniques and inner working techniques some of it kind of reminds me uh I mean, it reminds me of a ton of different stuff, but I was thinking in particular of, like, the concept of... Have you ever heard of an egregore? Like, it's a, it's like a group thought form or like a... Oh, or, uh, yeah. Like a, an ancestral line could almost be like an egregore, sort of like along the same lines as that, or that's how mm-hmm. it sort of felt. And especially, like, the way that the ancestors are split up, right? So you have, like, immediate ancestors that you can address individually and mm-hmm. then, like, long-term ancestors that you... that get a little hazier. And then you've got, like, your distant past like your cavemen and and non-literate like neolithic ancestors who are running around making stone circles and um, chanting at things I mean, yeah I and they can teach us what that means which is really cool yeah um and then the yeah so and then the uh the uh, ancestral guide thing uh-huh is that outlined in the book yes and how do you is there some sort of special ritual that you have to go through to do that? Or is there, do you, is it just like, <clears throat> as you work through the healing process, you come across one? Uh, you explicitly, the first ritual beyond assessing what's going on in is your ancestral lineages is finding. inviting and inviting a connection with an ancestral guide or yeah. it's one of your ancestors in a particular lineage that you're working with. Mm-hmm. like your mother's mother and all the females before her say is it we call that a lineage so okay. a lineage of women or females you're finding 
you're finding an ancestor of that lineage, so in that bloodline, uh-huh. who is able, willing, and well enough to work on all the healing in that lineage. So, so that is the first kind of step in the healing process. Uh, and do you do that for each lineage? Does each yeah. lineage get... Uh, so you get like... You get like a... a so I have a battalion a of battalion. ancestral guides who are all like cool ancient folks into all this cool different stuff that uh-huh. do healing in these different lineages and teach me things. And that can be that yours. Awesome. It's amazing. It's for amazing. 1995. For 1995. <laughs> this can be yours. Yeah, that's... I, but yeah. I mean, even that is something that is... that that Like that idea of sort of like collecting helper spirits and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, is, is also really common in, in other traditions. Uh, and that's kind of neat because it sounds like you guys... But this particular technique makes it way more accessible or easy to get to that point. Like you do it first. Yeah, it's a pragmatic. It's a pragmatic access point to mm-hmm. doing all this stuff for sure. And you know, it's exciting that there are these things in common. And the reason that these thing these things are in common, and you're seeing connections between these different esoteric traditions and and this is because it's part of our heritage as humans to tap into this kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, it's certainly no surprise. It's exciting when you see explicit connections mm-hmm. um, and I I believe a lot of my work in the world is helping to connect people with their birthright of accessing our our gnosis and, yeah, yeah. which is I think a great word for it I like the mm-hmm. um, Gnostic words a bit like I like emanations I almost always say emanations and things well like, you I like used some, some words in, when you were talking today you used some words that I thought were pretty like imaginal you know that's a term that yes uh, I like the imaginal realm I like the imaginal realm too it, I'm sad that we don't get to use words like imagination since you know yeah. we treat our culture treats imagination like a toy now or something yes, to be dismissed. it's denigrated yeah. it's made up it's make yeah. believe it's, but it's not it's not I mean, valued it might be more real than what we're doing now yeah. Yeah. Um, but so that was cool to hear you say that. I, I've heard that in, in other academic uh, sources, academic stuff too. But um, yeah, and then when you were talking about like how, uh, you know, I mean, the imagination stuff really did start to diminish about 500 years ago. Yeah. Like kind of 500 years ago this year. Is this the anniversary of <laughs> materialist dominance? It is. It's the anniversary yeah. of uh, Luther... Nailing his theses to the door, starting the Protestant Reformation, which led wow. to like Calvinism and led to the the demonization of the imagination as being like a form of idolatry, ruined you know ruined religious art in the West by by uh, ending the ending the um, Renaissance and destroying our relationship with our own imagination. It happened before we ever got industrialized. It happened like when we. I mean, I don't want to sound pro-Catholic, but it started to happen when we questioned religious authorities and we're like, uh, "What's going on here?" Yeah. But we we threw the baby out with the bathwater. We uh, yes. We we got rid of. Uh, I could talk about this for a long time. I could you're, too. You're, you're, you're the guest. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm on board. I'm into this conversation. But it's uh, it's just fascinating that these things are actually coming back and like the, you know, teaching people to be like confident with their imagination. <laughs> I think it's yeah. important. And this yes. ancestor thing mm-hmm. totally has that. Yeah, I, I've i made it a point in my life based on my own... Um, my own strengths and talents. I'm, I'm, good, I'm good with academia as far as I want to take that. Mm-hmm. And I feel the great responsibility to be one of the people bringing like legitimacy to the imaginal realm within mm-hmm. the mainstream. And as far as I can tell, part of the mainstream is, is created in the cycle of creating knowledge and our own epistemology in the West of, of like experts mm-hmm. and scientists agree. And then, you know, they publish yeah. stuff and that gets into magazines like Nature and Science and stuff. And then it's like, oh, we all know that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really interested in that cycle and I want... I want to see the the righteous righteous imagination become part of our valued intelligence more and more and doing this ancestor work can really help because it's a way to tap into what that actually means. Yeah. It's hard because it feels like there's still this 
like an ideological battle that has to be fought with materialism. Yeah. Like materialism That's wants happening, us. though. It is happening. Um, I mean, it's on. That's on. Yeah, I mean, the big problem is, though, like, materialism has invented stuff like lasers and computers and the yeah. internet. And, and, and we've got, like, you know, imaginary unicorns and stuff. <laughs> well, um, if you're measuring it by materialist means, then they're then, always going to win. you're screwed, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was watching, I was at a talk by this uh, Zen Buddhist monk recently. And he got a question from the audience about like measuring the effects of meditation and stuff. And he's like, mm, and the, yeah. the monk who was super down to earth, he's like, yeah, I mean, I know that those sorts of studies exist, but the thing about a spiritual experience is you don't need to have, it doesn't need to be measured. It just needs to be experienced, right? Like we've lost the concept of like different types of knowledge and how they have yeah. their own place. Uh, so. I think those measured meditation studies are great. I mean, mm -hmm. the entry point, that's an entry point for people to see that something can be scientifically measured and has an impact within our current materialist worldview is powerful uh -huh. to people. That's why I like to talk about epigenetics and how that is looking like supporting intergenerational trauma and healing ancestrally. I think that those um, neurophenomenological studies with the monks in meditation are massively impactful. Uh -huh. um, where it's, I mean, I get it. It's not. It shouldn't be necessary. It shouldn't be necessary to have to bring science into it because yeah. it just shouldn't be. But it, it is for a lot of people because science is real and not science is not real. I mean, that's basically where we're still. Oh yeah. Because we've, we've flipped reality on its head. Yeah. We're pretending that the material is the real stuff. Yeah. Plato would slap us. Plato would slap us hard. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about the beer for a second. Okay. Because we're drinking... Yeah, what are we drinking, Eric? <laughs> Ancestry Brewing Oatmeal Stout. We are. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Um, I don't think it tastes like an oatmeal stout very much. I was curious if it would taste like ground-up bones. Oh, yeah. But... Or... <laughs> Or, or it would taste the way like a really, really old people smell. It tastes like neither to me. Yeah, it's really sweet. It's very sweet. And it's got a lot of like dark fruit notes to it, right? Like figs and dates and stuff. Uh, and I guess I just always think that oatmeal stouts are going to be dry. But uh, the name is cool. Yeah. Ancestry Brewing. Which I think is kind of local. Is it? I think so. I think they're like in Estacada or hmm. or somewhere. And they're in a suburb. They're in one of those suburbs that uh, nobody goes to. Is Estacada a suburb? I think they would reject that. Well, I mean, they're pretty close. I feel like if you go down 205 and there's a sign pointing to your city, there's a pretty good chance you're a suburb. Except unless you're Hood River. No, you're in wild Clackamas <laughs> County down there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's That's a good question. I guess we'll have to... Wikipedia probably knows if Estacada is a suburb. <laughs> Estacada citizens might have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, Vancouver people say that they're not a suburb of Portland. Right. We don't believe them, do we? They still count it as a suburb. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe Vancouver people think they are a suburb and Portland people think they're not. And, yeah, there's some disagreement somewhere. I read about it in Willamette Week, so it's probably true. And... Um, but they are. They're like statistically a suburb of Portland, just in a different place. So is suburb an objectively measurable thing, or is it like in the realm of subjective experience, like meditation? <laughs> Sorry. You know, science has done a lot of study of suburbs, and, uh, okay. and I think the, the consensus is that um, regardless of what science says, suburb is something that must be felt and not measured. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so, all right, I guess we need to rewind a little bit because I jumped straight into, like, all these questions and stuff before before letting you explain what the ancestor thing was. So can you tell us about the lineages? What are the lineages? Oh, yeah. So doing the kind of... So I work in this modality of ancestral healing that was created by Dr. Daniel Four, who's um, 
nothing if not pragmatic, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. He explored a lot of different ancestral reverent traditions and experienced a lot in his explorations of spirituality and, and different religions. And um, this whole modality exists because of recognizing that there is an importance with a connection between us and our ancestors, those who have come before us, and recognizing that here in the West, I mean, maybe even particularly in this country, in the United States, um, we're really cut off from where we come from. And also, we're coming, a lot of us are coming from a lot of different heritages. Uh -huh. And, you know, it's not like, I can go back to my Irish homeland, you know. Mm -hmm. I maybe am, if I have done a DNA test, I might have a suspicion that I'm 10% Irish, 33% uh -huh. <laughs> Western European, 14% yeah. Ashkenazi Jew, or whatever. Uh -huh. So, anyway... This whole modality was put together to be able to do some reconnective work with us and our ancestors, wherever they may hail from. And so when I speak of lineages, part of what that means in this context is um, your particular bloodlines, really. You could say bloodline instead of lineage mm -hmm. in this context and have that be accurate. So um, when I'm talking about in this in this framework, we tend to work with four primary lineages, which are your father, his father, all the males before him. So you're going down this bloodline of men all the way back through time. And likewise, your father's mother and those females all the way back through time. And you're looking at them each of these lineages as a general energy and you're you're literally rating them on a scale of one to ten about their health to start out okay this whole thing starts out with a rating system <laughs> sort of a of, health scan like you go health in scan. And... you're taking the temperature mm -hmm. you're you're evaluating you're not evaluating you're not getting in the details of the illness but you're saying is there illness or is there health what is this looking like and you do that kind of almost intuitively, right? So you enter into an imaginal realm, and then yes. you and then you scry. You basically scry the the bloodline. Sure, you could say right? that. Totally, yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. That's one way to say it. Yes, you are. Um, you're taking a peek through a lens in the imaginal, or I mean, one of the assumptions of doing this work is that. Um, there's continuity after death and you can communicate with those who have passed and also mm -hmm. that that can happen in real time. So you're, you are in, in the present moment able to perceive information using your inner senses about the health state of your ancestral lineages. I know that sounds really far out. No, I, I, it might sound far out, but it's not the craziest thing that I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I was, I was mentioning earlier, you know, yeah. I've been in groups and groups of people doing this, both as, like, participant and and also practitioner, and I've probably been around inactive process like this, like, 200 people at least, and uh -huh. there's only been one time where someone wasn't, like, getting anything. You know, people are yeah. able to perceive these things, and um, it's quite fascinating yeah um, and it's, it's available it is and it, it I mean it is totally like the imaginal realm like it's learning to kind of like trust your inner sight yes like yeah that's really cool so you're actually helping a lot of people even just get that skill yeah I really see it as um, helping to to really develop develop your inner senses I, I like to say inner train inner senses mm -hmm. your um, perceptual abilities I mean, a lot of people have different language around that. Like, I mean, like Rudolf Steiner had a whole freaking thing about oh, yeah. helping people um, visiting higher worlds. Wait, what was his book called about that? It was... Um, I don't know, but Rudolf Steiner yeah. is like one of the granddaddies of modern Western esotericism. So... Yeah, and you know why? Because he was a total badass about his approach. Because he became this <laughs> academic philosopher, yeah. highfalutin, respected guy, and then busted out with the fact that he's a prophet and sees other realms. Yeah, and that yeah. really worked for him. And he, he has, there's, we still have, like, isn't there a whole line of uh, schools still based on his teachings? Oh, yeah, the Waldorf schools. Yeah, the Waldorf and schools are all, like... There's a lot of biodynamic health care, mm -hmm. well, wellness care stuff 
beauty products and Rudolph Steiner beauty products. Yeah, the doctor Hushka skincare line (laughs) and Willeda. Those are biodynamic. Willeda and Dr. Hauschka were both started by Rudolf Steiner. I don't know what either of those are, but I will Google them. You can get them at New Seasons. I I mean, I personally... Here, try this. Oh. This is You guys, I'm going to get a Rudolf Rudolf Steiner makeover. That's right. (laughs) Um, You can smell that. Okay. Okay, this is uh, uh, Willeda. Yeah. Willeda Wild Rose Deodorant. Oh, that smells really good. Yeah, and okay, I don't actually have it with me, but okay. there's a wonderful hand cream that's very healing uh-huh. called Skin Food, and it's um, the Steiner stuff is all biodynamically grown, meaning huh. it's harvested with the correct astrological cycles and all of that stuff according to um, his clairvoyant determinations and transmissions about when things should be grown and harvested. Cool. Yeah. That's neat. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm always really surprised when I see uh, how much Rudolf Steiner has, has influenced modern culture. How And, like, he's got a far-reaching influence. He did a really good job. Like, you compare him to all the other, like, big-name mystics. And they're, the rest of them are all on the fringes. He really did a good job in, yeah. in gratiating himself and firmly establishing himself within an academy of people considered intelligent. And then mm-hmm. he went off the deep end in the coolest way with all of his, like, gnosis stuff. I know. Good job, Rudolf Steiner, wherever yeah, you are. Yeah, good job. I wish he was one of my ancestors. <laughs> I don't know. I his instructions are really daunting, though. I mean, yeah. he he basically requires you to dedicate your entire life to pedantic exercises to develop your inner senses that are, like, pretty off-putting. Like, well, I mean, that influenced a lot. Like, that's how a lot of, uh, like, ceremonial magic is. There's yeah. there's a ton of, like, do this every day, do this every day. Right. And even when, even when you learn it nowadays, like, they don't even really... You're not even really told up front... Uh, that you're supposed to trust your imagination. You know what I mean? Like, you're taught to, like, practice visualization. You have to be able to see these things in your mind. And it never tells you it's your imagination. Use your imagination to form these images and you're you're there. It's pretty pretty fascinating. It's, yeah, it's totally the hard way around. That seems almost like a disservice because I've noticed in working with with folks on their inner senses like you will have something it's it's always difficult to find language to talk about these things like doing this ancestral work or mm-hmm. or doing different trancey things and and even dreams because people's internal perceptions can be a lot different like it might not be visual and people expect it to be visual right like they it can expect be feelings wild or... visuals yeah or clarity right. in visuals right. but a lot of times it's, yeah, like you said, feeling, sense, or just this vague kind of knowing or guessing about something. Yeah, it sometimes feels like guessing, or sometimes it feels like, or even, like, you mentioned it a little bit today, like, the ability to learn what is you just making stuff up and what is, like, coming to you intuitively. Yeah. Like, it takes a little bit of practice sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's not always discernible. Yeah, sometimes it's not discernible. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyhow, that's it's. I'm really happy that you're teaching so many people to do that. I hope that I hope that you uh, your work leads to the downfall of the materialists and that yes. they all uh, they all go rot in their little materialist graves that we will not uh, disturb. That we will not disturb. <laughs> we will make sure they become good ancestors. We're going to take care of those folks. Um, yeah. No, there's a lot of people out there working mm-hmm. on this kind of stuff from different angles, and I think like the cultural healing potential of this is huge just uh-huh. as we tap into deeper parts of ourselves yeah I, it's that that kind of like timing. um the heritage guilt or the cultural guilt that yeah. that we carry around or even the cultural animosity that we that we carry around is yeah. i mean it's it's kind of mind-boggling when you stop and look at it and see how yeah. many problems in the world were not caused by our generation but caused by ancestors doing stupid things to each other and now we have like religious wars and racism and social injustice and like everything pretty much everything that is shit right everything that is shit comes down the pipeline from our ancestors yeah what we're not what we're failing to recognize is that what also comes down the pipeline from our ancestors is 
a lot of knowledge about ourselves and how we see that is we see or in our current culture we think of ourselves as these individuals where we're like oh racism isn't my fault I'm not racist and oh that was someone else that and we don't we don't own any of that um, because we're thinking we're thinking as individuals but one of the things we can learn from connecting with our ancestors is being connected with the, the, the stream of that and seeing that we actually can, we don't have to feel guilt about that. We can uh -huh. actually address those things and do work in the imaginal realm to help things improve in the physical realm by really reckoning with our own guilt and shame about our ancestors that we have rejected. Say, I'm, I'm talking as a mostly right. European ancestor oh, person yeah, yeah, who I, mean... I know at least one instance in my own family history own literally owned slaves who were black folks from Africa in this country and that's not rare for oh yeah it's European ancestry yeah if your family if your family has been here for for more than 150 years yeah there's a chance sometimes a really good chance especially if there was any money at all involved back right then. yeah and I mean like uh, yeah I was thinking about that too like my ancestry I'm Norwegian mm -hmm. So, uh, we didn't come over here. My family, I don't think, I don't know when my mom's family came over. My dad's family didn't come over until like the 1880s. So there were no, there were no like American slave owners, but I know that probably further back there were slave owners. Oh Vi heck yeah. Vikings Anyone loved slaves. Ever, yes. Yes. So. <laughs> my Alchemical Bromance is sponsored by Miskatonic Books. Miskatonic Books is an online bookstore that focuses on rare, limited edition, and custom-made books of the highest quality. They specialize in books on the occult, ceremonial magic, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, Hermeticism, and other topics of interest to you, our listeners. Check them out on the web at miskatonicbooks.com. In, in, any, in any person's ancestral lineages, you can find the full array of human behavior as oppressor and oppressed. And that's that's a really beautiful thing about, about doing this work. Like, I can have this latent guilt about my white slave-owning ancestors in this country, like, relatively recently, or I can face a lot of stuff and understand how that that can be transformed and mm -hmm. and worked with so that I'm not carrying around this perpetuated skewed version of who I am, who my people are, and how I treat others. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I think it, it can be kind of subtle, but it can be pretty profound the way that you can achieve a sense of personal connectedness with the greater web of life, but with humanity and the struggles of humanity on oppressor and oppressed and doing this work where you can really really have a voice in conversations about cultural healing uh -huh. and bring on wise old guidance from folks who have been through it before. Yeah, that is interesting. I was having another thought while you were talking. That's so rude. Sorry. Just kidding. It's my brain. I... It's all right. <laughs> I might have eaten some marijuana this morning. Oh. But it was okay. a, that was a long time ago. I, I can't use it as an excuse anymore. Uh, but, I mean, okay, so first of all, like, every culture has had ancestor worship, except for, like, really recent modern Western culture, right? Like, ancestor worship is ubiquitous across across societies and cultures and stuff. Like, it's everywhere. Um, yeah, or communication with ancestors. Awareness yeah, and Yeah, I guess calling it ancestor support. worship isn't good, but veneration or, or acknowledgement yeah, reverence, of ancestors. Ancestor rever reverence yeah, um, or whatever. Or even, like an, or even like a sense of like cohabitation with ancestors. Yeah, yes. uh, and I mean, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think, I was trying to think of like if there are cases of, I mean, like do, do Catholic saints count as a kind of ancestor? Sure. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the definition of ancestor can be very broad in the sense yeah. with this ancestral lineage healing work that I'm engaged in. We're specifically looking at DNA, your human bloodlines. Yeah, so we're looking at your as I think of it as like a baseline level of human health and spirituality is 
is being well with your ancestors and making sure that they're well. And by those ancestors, I mean your ancestors of blood right. and bone. Those yeah. DNA you carry. I noticed that some people don't have a very easy time with that. They don't. They and really don't want to have any connection with the ancestors of their blood. No. That's uh, which I think is indicative of yeah. like some a serious uh, ancestor health issue. Then wouldn't it be that'd be like yeah. Well, it's something. I mean, as shocking as it might seem, it's something we haven't given a lot of thought to in this culture. Where where do we come from, and what does it mean to be in this body? What are I mean? We recognize when like we have the same nose as our dad, or yeah. we don't know where we came from because we were adopted, or we only, right. you know, we never met our dad. But what is this? Do I have his ears? Like, do I stand like him? Or mm-hmm. um, we we notice these things, but we don't really pay attention to what potential there is in the things that we inherit from those who we come from genetically yeah. and physically about what what kind of gifts we can tap into what what is that like just what is that whole thing of being connected to people in that way and it doesn't doing that kind of focus on your blood ancestry as a practice doesn't in any way subtract from other other things that you have as that you consider ancestors like ancestors of spiritual lineage like saints mm-hmm. um those all have a lot of weight and and a different kind yeah, so sort of like a parallel different. yeah yeah okay that makes sense okay so we we really just haven't had i mean probably the only people who have cared that much about their ancestors then were royalty like right. royal we, lines that's what we look were for friggin obsessed with it it's hilarious when if you if you're an <laughs> ancestral nerd like me you watch oh. all those genealogy shows and you see people just freaking out when they're connected to a king or whatever. Yeah. And it's, yeah, we we have this, like, um, show me my, what my worth is through the pedigree of my ancestors. It's almost, it's it's materialism again. It's totally right. like, right. are my ancestors worth having? Right. Yeah. What of course they're worth having. Me? They made what? you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And do it really diving in into your imaginal experiences with your actual ancestors can be incredible. Like if someone, like some of the gifts that flow through people's lineage, that's one of the uh-huh. things that we look at is like what, when you, when you engage with, with guides in your, in your various lineages that you do this basic relationship building. And one of those things is finding out about our people, like what, what's up here. Yeah. And you can find out things like, um, sometimes people are like, well, there seems to be a lot about like cooking. Like, I guess we like to cook, like whatever. That's not very great. But, but then th- it's like, that is a major blessing. Like cooking, getting the food from the earth, preparing it around the hearth and eating it for sustenance. Like that is a gift. Maybe those are people who have never been to a dinner party and they don't understand. I mean, just like at the most basic level, like the gift of being able to cook for others. Yeah. Like it's the most awesome thing to do yeah you know you hang out yeah. watch your favorite movie with like some incredible meal that you made and yeah yeah and drink some wine or some beer i mean the oldest recipes that we know of in the historical record are record are beer yeah yeah oh yeah oh yeah that's right i like to get a... in on some of those dinner parties back then <laughs> bring your own mud <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that would have. Yeah, I, I'm sure your ancestors were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So again, with the imaginal stuff, like you were talking about developing the muscle, you you, you use that <laughs> phrase a lot, like the, yeah. the, the the imaginal muscle or the the muscle of that. So that uh, in our culture, we used to believe that uh, that perception, and in, in addition to like communication. Uh, entered in through the eyes, yes. uh, at which point it was converted into symbol that uh, that was fed into what we called the uh, the the phantasmic faculty or the imaginal faculty, which was an inner sense, which was the point at which your soul touched your material senses and accepted symbolic representations that were then transformed into your that were shunted into your mind for. Which was perceived to be like non-physical, right? Like your mind was, yeah. 
part of your soul, part of your subtle body. It wasn't <laughs> that's even still a problem if you look at consciousness studies. <laughs> I know, I know. That's the big problem. Um, and that, but that that uh, I find that like metaphor to be really useful in terms of especially understanding like what imaginal vision is. Like imaginal vision is the way that your soul communicates with the material world, uh, or your soul communicates with things beyond your soul. Yes. Um, it doesn't have to just be the material world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is like one of the things I love about this particular uh, metaphor is it makes communication into this incredible thing where your soul sends impressions through the phantasmic faculty into your physical body where symbols and forms and concepts are transformed into sound waves that then like smack against you mm-hmm. and the process happens in reverse. Mm. Uh, which is weird. That's neat. That whole time I was imagining the kinds of drawings that would accompany that whole system schema. Yeah, I almost it, think of it kind of like a, like a funnel that comes down into your larynx or something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure or what, what that is like. Like all of your physical senses tied into this like translating matrix of, of material stuff to immaterial stuff that, yeah. is, that is like soul stuff soul thoughts or whatever the heck you want to call them um i like that a lot and then you also mentioned uh the yoruba Mm -hmm. a few times what it's a are there they're an african tribe an african culture yeah i'm so i'm disclosure here i'm not um an expert in yoruba culture or religion at all but i have encountered it in several meaningful ways Mm -hmm. doing work with ancestral healing and um to my knowledge um yoruba culture is um the yoruba people are in nigeria in western africa and it's it's a culture a very old culture oh okay and in the yoruba religion um are the Orishas, which are the, you could say, emanations or representations of natural forces or deities. Mm -hmm. It's their pantheon um, that are all very much tied to natural natural flow. Like Oshun Uh um, is like a, a goddess or a deity of sweet water and and honey and beauty and love is very mm-hmm. much like I don't know maybe like an Aphrodite type figure but is is very very tied to nature more than like the Greek pantheon seems to be at least in my perception uh-huh. the, wait which pantheon? like the Greek pantheon whoa that's misperception then. in my perception oh, okay, okay. okay. See, yeah, yeah you probably know a lot more about that than I do yeah they have the they have some pretty intimate ties to nature uh, in yeah. addition to a very like animistic tradition of having uh, gods of places and yeah. streams and mountains and rocks and rivers like locally venerated uh, deities that were very like animistic in nature but mm-hmm. but the ones that get popular are popular because you know the materialist right culture we need a love teaches goddess. it to us like Zeus yeah I mean you look at Zeus yeah. He's lightning. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. So that's in the, in that, uh, the Orishas. So that, that society, that culture is what, uh, fed like voodoo and Santeria and those sorts of syncretic yeah, Christian, so, Af- African Christian yes, religions. Okay. Yes. So, um, you will find the same, the same deities, the Orisha in, uh-huh. in a lot of the, um, Caribbean religions, um, okay. because what, but they've mingled with Catholicism and Christianity of different kinds by the point that they got brought there through um, the African slave trade. Um, they were all of all of those religions that are influenced by um, the West African deities um, have a lot in in common with the importance of of the ancestors. See, this is why I wish Nate would have been here, because he's way into that stuff. Nate's Ginger Gandalf, our, our listeners know. Ginger Gandalf. Ginger Gandalf, yeah. I like it. <laughs> uh, okay, hold on. Um, okay, so then this concept of healing an ancestral lineage, is there... What is that process like? Like, So I know that, you know, we didn't talk about this yet, but you have... You're a you're an ancestral 
Do you call yourself an ancestral therapist? Ancestral... <laughs> no. I, I call myself a depth psychologist or an ancestral healing practitioner. Anse- oh, right. Anse- yeah, we did. We actually... That's totally, cool. I totally said that yeah. right at the beginning. Ancestral healing practitioner. So, so what's the process of, of healing? Uh, like, what, what would it look like? So, like, if I came to you mm-hmm. and it was like, my ancestors are janked up. Yeah. And you'd be like, okay, we're going to do this first practice where I take you into a light trance. You form like a protective barrier around yourself. You look through a window and then you view each of your four beginning lineages. Yeah. And kind of get a feeling on them. Like, yeah. those dudes are cool. They're all just, everything's happy. These guys were Nazis. That, that, that's, a, that's a one. Right. Um, so you, you basically like go through and rank all of them one to ten. Yeah, and there's a lot of nuance in there too, okay. and it's a guided process. So so you sort of walk. You would I'm, walk I'm me not through just it. like all right, Eric, check those guys out. How are they doing? What do you think? Oh, one you got to some 10? Nazis. One to ten. Okay, cool. Uh, Nazis. That's a one, probably. <laughs> no, we really. So yes, you you nailed the process of okay. the first step of the assessment step. But, okay. Um, but it's more as part of that is is really making sure it. Well, it's set up with an invocative support. So right. okay. what some might call a prayer. Yeah. I, I tend to avoid calling that it. That can be a trigger word. Yeah, for people, yeah. So you call it. But like it, a... essentially, I'll usually say like a supportive intention or supportive yeah. invocation and then I'll just like go into like praying to my ancestors in like Hebrew and uh-huh. but um, <laughs> it's set up in a way that um, is actually a ritual container uh-huh. and uh, the we do go through the process that looks like a guided visualization process of surrounding you with protection and really Mm -hmm. being being present in your body and then surrounding like this isn't a journey to like go somewhere like a lot of a lot of people who are used to doing trancey stuff and maybe are like into neo-shamanic stuff and are like going places right there's always travel like like, uh like path working always the same way where you you like go someplace yeah you you leave yes so this this I is, mean, it can happen that you leave, but in this first process, it's like you're really You're here. just taking a peek. And it's, yes, you're okay. just taking a peek. And I like to say it's like you're looking through like a two-way mirror. Yeah. And we really establish this protection and boundary and then have the, a window in the distance that you're looking through and no one can look back at it. And that that is because of safety. And right. that is a concern because um, we're all in relationship with our ancestors, but sometimes... Um, like especially if you feel like if people are like I don't know about this relating to my ancestors saying that sounds yeah. kind of edgy or scary it, it might be because you're downwind of some like negative influence from your ancestors some gnarly ancestors and there could be some yeah. gnarly shit back there and so this is just a peak so you're not engaging you're not diving into any ancestral trauma you might have you're going from a safe place where you feel comfortable and secure and supported just taking a peek down these different lineages and that that's all a guided process of looking at it as a whole energy and Mm -hmm. it's a real it's nice when you're in a kind of a trance state to have someone else be like okay now ask this now do this like Uh it's very step-by-step instructional so you're so it's it's almost like a guided meditation it is a guided meditation basically okay and then and then you said, like, really early on, you look for the helper ancestors, the ancestral helpers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's like phase two. Do you start with the gnarliest line <laughs> or the that's easiest line? Or you do, you're, you're like, we're going to start with the middle yeah. line. Then after we get some practice, we're going to do the super gnarly one. And then for dessert, we do the super easy one. Yeah, it's a great question. So <laughs> I started with the gnarliest. Oh, and you it did? Oh. Sucked. It was hard. And it yeah. was heavy lifting. And it was like intense. And um, I don't usually recommend that with my clients. I tend uh-huh. to like to start with the easiest, most well resourced one yeah. right now. Because then people get a sense of what it's like to feel some resource from their ancestors as mm-hmm. um, working with a more easeful lineage. And I mean, it can be all over the place. Like people could have um, two lineages that are like pretty bad, like really not well. And uh-huh. like one that's like medium and one that's like pretty good, or they can have like all of them are great. I've actually never seen that <laughs> so far, but 
do you ever get lineages that like merge where yeah. they're like oh crap my yeah. parents are related well that inevitably <laughs> i mean, I, mean every, you, I guess every lineage merges eventually yeah. they all lead back to the same root well and be, even if you if you follow how many people have to mate to produce children to produce our population you don't have to go too far back for the for it to not work out mathematically like right. at a certain point and I'm, I'm not sure what those details are offhand but um, there there were small communities throughout most of history I mean most oh, yeah, of I mean, our ancestors were in small rural communities for it, like it wasn't until millennia. it wasn't until we started like expanding into the new world and stuff I mean like for Europeans we had tiny little communities for a super yeah. long time that wasn't a super huge gene pool it's not like no. a gene puddle i mean i think we can all expect some level of incest in our ancestral lineages now whether you encounter that in ancestral work or not is uh-huh. a different story like i i haven't encountered it personally and don't know of that many folks working through this process where it really comes up as a big deal uh-huh. but if it's with if it's like significant lineages within a few generations it might come up Uh and that might have been a confusing thing that I just said significant lineages and by that I mean different different ancestral lineages might have a different level of impact on on you right now so I mean they're all significant in that they all contribute to your life right but some of them show up stronger than others okay yeah that's all I meant by that yeah um okay I completely lost the original thread of that ramble. Oh, man. Well, I started asking about, like, ancestral incest. but uh, And then before that, we were talking about which ancestral line you tackle first. Oh, yeah. You said, don't do the worst one first. Right. So it's wonderful to start with one that's pretty well off. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe the best one. Okay. And experience what that's like to have that support. And then very often, that well lineage will accompany the work with your other lineages so if there's like a big bad line of like terrible people that Uh are just monsters all throughout time and maybe have like curses and stuff i mean there's all kinds of shit that can happen here right like you Um, can just have a whole line of dentists right yeah (laughs) um there it's it's a great resource to get other lineages on board in wellness and really soak up so then once you get one lineage healed it can help you with the next oh yeah totally people experience that in different ways like part of the end of the healing or repair process i mean this process is only necessary by the way because we're separate from our ancestors this is the natural way that it should be with our ancestors so it's really we're really just at the point where we're like putting we're putting back something that should have been there already. Yeah, this is a reconnection thing. And then, yeah. and then, um, and then that's just the first step, right? Like, then yeah. the continuing step is that sort of continued relationship or reverence yeah. for your ancestors. That, well, it is a relationship, and yeah. it becomes what what your ancestors' their role in your life is to provide you support for your life, to give you insight about your destiny and your mm-hmm. gifts, and to support that, and they do. Um, I've never had such clarity of, of vision. I mean, it might be skewed because my ancestors are saying help people with their ancestors, but but I know that it's not. Yeah. I've been in touch with my own internal senses and my dreams for uh-huh. long enough that I know that I'm stepping in the right way and in my life focusing on helping people connect with their inner senses and their ancestors. It's like, yes, this is why I'm here at this time. That's always been a mystery. That's one reason I got into like older aesthetics. It's like, why am I even here right now? I like this stuff back here more it's been confusing to me to know why i'm on the planet right now at this time uh-huh. when i like some other times so much better like aesthetically and different i mean that that's a huge that's like a whole other no thing. no i mean that's that's cool I, it was making me think about how like your intuitive path following your dreams or whatever the heck you wanted to call it led you to the stuff that helped you reconnect with old like it's very it's very Circuitous. It is. I don't yeah. know if I said that word right. It is. But you did. Cool. Uh, I'm, circuitous. I'm going to give myself a, a gold star. That's, that. I agree. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, it's super circuitous. It it reminds. It's it's almost like you were, you were put on the path, perhaps by yourself. Yeah. Sure. Sometime in the future. Totally. Yeah. I'm down with that. Um. But it's it's awesome. Like it's 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 very. Uh, I don't think I've ever run into anybody else who's done that. And I've talked to a lot of weird people. Really. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's... Or how about, maybe, let's put it this way. There might be other people who make that claim, but you never really get the idea that they got their shit together. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I kind of know what you mean. I mean, there's a lot of people who are interested in, like, Jungian stuff and synchronicity uh-huh. and individuation, and there are all these different aesthetic scenes, and it's it's hard to find people who are who are walking the talk, and it looks different. I mean, basically, if you... I mean, a great prescription through life is to literally follow your dreams by making whatever you can bleed into your waking reality from your dreams in ways that are safe. And I mean, this is like super. Yeah, yeah, no, no, keep going. This is like fucking life 101. Okay, let's let's hear life 101. So bring everything you possibly can from your dreams into your waking reality that is, that feels like something you want to do. Don't bring nightmare scenarios that if you feel like a good feeling from a dream, bring it in like if you notice what clothing you're wearing in a dream uh-huh. and you're like oh yeah I was wearing that shirt like wear that shirt the next day like do things in your physical life to tell your dreams that they're important they will guide you more mm-hmm. and more notice synchronicities in your life and when you're noticing a lot of them you are you're they on the are right like path. on the right path guide markers they're like breadcrumbs right. and you if you do that consistently your entire relationship to cause and effect um, meaning in your life will absolutely change if it hasn't already and like ancestors are a huge part of that I mean like so many synchronicities and stuff happen when you're like oh this amazing ancestral guide came to me that oh we're people of the deer like I guarantee you (laughs) in like a day something will happen like a deer will walk by and you'll be like I've never seen a deer in my life or so I mean (laughs) Something like that. Like yeah. the yeah. external world acts as a reflection of what's going on with us, and we're when we're doing what we need to be doing according to the doctrines or blueprints or akashic record or whatever you want to say of like our highest path of our own integrity through our lives, the world reflects that. It, like the world like starts to pay me for doing ancestral work with people when right. I had a hard time making money before selling shoelaces which I wasn't doing and I don't know why I said that but maybe you, I could have you had a shoelace ancestor I like maybe shoelaces maybe a cobbler you had an ancestor who's like yeah. a cobbler who broke his fingers like and so all he could do is sell shoelaces and it's, yeah. it's tough <laughs> yeah um, that's but, uh, that's incredibly insightful I think like that makes sense uh, the mystics have been saying it for ages and ages. Like, everyone says that Everyone in says it, ways. but that doesn't mean that the rest of us are going to listen to it. But them. it's easy to just do it. It's just not easy to do, do it. it. You, you, have to, you have to have a lot of trust. In, you have to have faith. Or right? curiosity. Or curiosity. You can have a yes. lot stronger curiosity than faith, and then the faith Well, I mean, faith develops. doesn't have to be... Faith doesn't have to be blind, right? right? So faith right. can feed curiosity, but you have to yeah. have... And, I mean, curiosity is a rare trait, too. Okay. I mean, you know that. Faith is... I I don't know if faith is common or not, you know, but curiosity is not common. Oh. And You don't and, think? And fear is common. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. a lot of people yeah. are more scared than they are curious. Okay. So they will allow their fear to tell them, I am going to follow the same path as everybody else. Yeah. Which eliminates a lot of the ability to, like, follow your dreams. Okay. Unless, like, you... You could probably wear your dream shirt still. But, um... But, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the other stuff you, you probably don't get to do if you're on... If, you're, if your fear is telling you, like, this is the same path I've... Everybody else is on. It seems yeah. to be working for them. I'm going to do it, too. Even though it drives a lot of people into, like, this realm of, like, super deep unhappiness, they don't realize that that's in... That that's not cool. But it doesn't even have to be as heavy as all that. You could literally just remember some of your dreams. There's mm-hmm. a lot of techniques for that if you don't already. Uh-huh. And just enact little details from your dreams in your waking life and notice and start noticing what happens. It doesn't have to be a big paradigm that's shift. A, it causes a paradigm shift. So that's an interesting idea. I don't think I ever thought about doing that. Yeah, try it. Okay. Just any detail you notice. Be like... Just when you wake up, when you remember a dream, say, how can I bring that into my waking existence in any way? Maybe it could be you draw it. It could be just like writing down the dream. Mm -hmm. It could be drawing something from the dream. It could be like, ah, I was eating spaghetti. I'm going to eat spaghetti today. Or it could be noticing what you wear. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I have done that a little bit before, uh, but only like in in fairly serious 
ways, though. So, yeah. like, one of my teachers, when I was going through a self-initiation path, I had a teacher, and I was talking to him. I was like, I had this super weird dream last night. And he's like, well, what are you working on right now? I was like, well, I'm working on this initiation ritual for myself. And he's like, use the dream. The dream is your initiation ritual. I was like, what? Yeah. So I did. How and did it that was, go for you? It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was very powerful. It ended up being really, really good. I... Yeah, it was a crazy dream. There was like a castle. There was there was a there was a, like a dwarf. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of danger. A lot of I, I mean, yeah, it totally worked out. It was it was a very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, apparently, I remember my dreams pretty well compared to a lot of people. I never really thought of it that right? much, but a lot of people apparently don't pay very much attention to them. Um, yeah. So. I will. I'm going to try that. Try it. I'm going to try that try see it. what happens. Report back. Okay, I will. I, I promise. Try it. Do that. And I'll... while you're doing it, notice um, notice the synchronicities that pop up. Okay. Also. All right. So it's tracking. I like to think of this practice as like, um, it's like taking action on your dreams uh-huh. and a practice of awareness around synchronicity. So act on a dream and be aware of a synchronicity. They work hand in hand. And, okay. Um, I mean, I'm sure everyone, everyone knows what a synchronicity is by this point, don't they? Or am I just in a bubble of Jungian? I really hope mishmash? everybody knows what a synchronicity is. I mean, people either have read Jung or they've read Rob Nanton Wilson. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll just say it. I'm just, I need to say it because the, okay. I don't want to be a say it. Say it. freaking snob okay. and assume that everyone knows that word. It's a cool word. It's, and a, it's a coincidence with meaning. Yes. It's, it's a coincidence with meaning. Yeah. Actually, meaning might not even have to do with the definition. That's debatable. What it actually means. Actually, every, every coincidence might be synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, it's something happening in the external world that you perceive that corresponds with something that happens in your internal world it doesn't necessarily have to be rife with meaning although most people think it does i mean but it it could also be yeah but the thing that happens in the external world might be like an interesting coincidence or a coincidence at all yeah actually even just something you see you're like or it oh. could be super boring. Yeah, yeah. Like it is a synchronicity if you think of someone and they call you right then. Yes. There's something happening in your internal process. You think of this person and externally they're calling you. Yes. So it's the synchronicities enforce this um, hazy line. In fact, maybe nothing different about like your internal reality and your external reality. So like when you experience a synchronicity, at the very least, it's it's. Um, it's providing mortar for the bricks of the similarity and the sameness of your internal and external reality. It's like, oh, there's no explanation for that. Something just happened out there that corresponded to something that happened in here. What? And it's just like you yeah. noticing those is how you work with them. Right. That was a bad analogy, but... No, no, that totally I mean. works. That totally... I, I, and I was thinking... But then sometimes there are also coincidences and things that are not synchronicity. For instance, there's yeah. a Weinstefan banner hanging on the wall here. And before I came to your class today, before I came to your seminar today, I had a Weinstefan Vespier. Oh. Uh, which might th- you might think like, oh, is that a synchronicity? But it's not because uh, Oktoberfest just ended, so people have like right. German stuff all over the place. Right. Um, however, that is the oldest brewery in the world. It was founded before the year 1040. Really? It's over a thousand years old. Well, it's about a thousand years old. So it's like as old as like 40 generations of our ancestors. 40 yeah. generations ago, our ancestors, depending on where they were in the world, oh, yeah. they were in that specific However, region. However, those guys probably, those guys might not have had descendants because they were monks. Oh! So it's like blast. dead ancestral lines. Just... But we're drinking it today. <laughs> not dead. Yeah. Well, I'm not drinking it right now, but no. now I want to. Uh, it's almost time to get another beer. I wonder how long have we been talking? It's... Holy crap, we've already been talking an hour. Um, okay, well, let's wrap up, and then we can just have normal conversation and yeah. get normal beer. Uh, okay, so, Seda, tell us where internet people can find you. Oh, um, on the internet. I'm really excited. I'm about to bust out with my new brand. You want to hear what it is? Yeah. It's called... Inner lands. 
but it's not quite done yet. Okay. I'm being really careful with the logo and all of that. So for now, until I'm known as Inner Lands, it's um, just at sedaselter.net. And it, my name is S-E-Y-T-A-S-E-L-T-E-R.net. And you provide ancestral... Ancestral... Ancestral support. <laughs> ancestral support in, uh, in Olympia, Washington. Yeah, and, and most, in of my Oregon. Clim- most of my clients are online. Like, I do oh, you a do lot on, of you do online stuff too. Zoom stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. So then people can find you and, and like book intro thingamajigs and read your stuff about it and like get all hinky with their ancestors. Like they can. Yeah, you'll... and it's also for a lot more resourcing too on the subject. Um, check out my my teacher Daniel Four's website at ancestralmedicine.org. There's a lot, there's a big community forming around this stuff. And it's, cool. there are monthly groups in Portland working through doing ancestral healing together and uh-huh. starting one in Olympia. And it's a cool community. So, yeah, if you go to my website, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to talk to anyone. And just, it's exciting when people are interested. So, and great. you're a lot of fun to talk to. You're a lot of fun to talk to, well, too. Eric. Thanks. So, uh, so hopefully, I, w- I want you to come on the show again in the future. But okay. I want uh, some of my co-hosts to show up. Yeah. We had we had a scheduling problem where uh, we ran out of episodes, uh-huh. and we didn't we like didn't plan ahead, and they're <laughs> they're they can be difficult to to uh, plan stuff with sometimes. So I'm like I'm just gonna record without you guys. And they're like all right, so that's why you don't get to meet them this time. But hopefully next time. Yeah, sounds and great. Maybe we can get more into that dream stuff. I'll practice a sure. little bit. Okay. And uh, so this has been My Alchemical Bromance. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and like podcast thingamajigs. And you can um, uh, find us on the web at myalchemicalbromance.com. And uh, I hope that you come back next time and listen to more episodes. It probably won't be as cool as Seda, but uh, but like 80% is cool, maybe. I love it. I always enjoy it. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's good to hear. All right, now we have to clink our beers together and say Yahtzee. Yahtzee. Yahtzee.